Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Perry in the face. Score one. Score! All right, we're back with another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast, uh, take four. <laughs> Nobody will ever hear the other takes, but it's important for myself that I put it out there. But we're back to break down another week of Ducks Hockey. Pat returns to the show. Uh, Pat, you'll get to see how your video looks after, but I've put a, a nice little addition oh, nice. inside your face here. So Very nice, yeah. You can check into that later. But how's it going? How, welcome back to the show, Pat. Oh, things are good, man. Just uh, was at the game last night, and that was a really, honestly, a fun game. It's not not very often you get to go to a game where there's 11 goals, a couple of fights. Uh, just kind of wish that uh, the Ducks maybe took the Coyotes a little more seriously. They kind of gave them too much room, and they're losing the game in OT. But like I said, man, fun nonetheless to be there. It was a good time. Yeah, well, I mean, like the, uh, the last few games, or I guess pretty much every game this season, it's been fun to go watch them. Um, you know, the Ducks have played a fun kind of rushing brand of hockey, but... It's uh, the the outcome of that game sucks. Just at the like <laughs> to lose that way to Arizona, uh, the way the Coyotes have played this year, uh, with with them shorthanded, like no Chikrin for them. They're missing a few other players too. Uh, that that one that one stings a little bit, especially the way the Ducks have been playing. Like they've been handling those games that they should be. Like you look at the Kraken game on on Wednesday. Like they've been beating those teams pretty handily. And uh, I mean, this one's bound to happen at one point. Like at least they picked up a point, but. I'd rather that have been against uh, a team in the top half of the table rather than uh, than Arizona. Like you would have rather that happen against Edmonton or Calgary, right? Like a team that's that has like a lot of skill in the lineup, regardless yeah. of where they are on the standings. A team that isn't thirty second in goals per game and goals against average, <laughs> so that would uh, be a little bit more acceptable at that point. But hey, a point's a point. It- there was a lot. We could pick apart that game and, and spend 30 minutes on it. I know we're not going to, but it, there was just – Steven, I know you're here somewhere, but he, he said it in, in our pre-show that uh, he's like, everyone who had a good night also was larger than people who had a bad night. And I think that would pretty much speak to everybody for last night except for Gibson. I think just Gibson came back too early, and you said that earlier too. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, Steven. Steven's here, too. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, no, I mean, look, I, I would disagree so much as, like, I would say that I'm actually glad that it was a loss to Arizona because those points are fucking meaningless. If it had been against Edmonton and then they missed the playoffs by a point, right? Like, that's far more infuriating. Like, I think the biggest thing is they gave up. They lost out on a point that they should have had. Um, especially when you go into the fucking first intermission up 3-1. But not only that, but then you have, like, Vegas won last night, too. So now you're only picking up one out of two points, and the team right below, or who is a couple games below you in the point in the standings with games in hand is picking up two points. So, you know, I, I'd rather kind of lose those, those tr- kind of trap games to Arizona than to, you know, Vegas down a man or Calgary even in, uh, what do you call it? You know, with like half their team on fucking yeah, COVID true. list or whatever right now. Like, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to lose the game to Arizona. I think it's, it was interesting because like, I kind of go like when the game first kind of started last night, I was watching the first period and just being like, if you love narratives, this is a great fucking game. So you've got this team coming out of a six game losing streak. They put this fourth liner on the first line to try to spark some things. He goes out he gets in a fight early. Um, pumps everybody up then they score you know the last place team in the division takes the lead on the first place team in the division and you're like all right now we got you know they're going to try to get back in this and blah 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 and then you've got anaheim like waking up scoring three straight goals carrying in the first period and all of a sudden you're like oh okay so anaheim took them a little lightly to start you know they weren't quite ready but now they come back and they came back strong effective they got those three goals and now you know, and then the game from there just kind of devolved into a hot mess, and it, it it was a blast. But I just think it was, it was weird how I don't know that there's really any one thing you can take away from that game because it kind of had four or five different versions. Yeah, of it, so. I mean they they happen, right? And like I guess if you're gonna lose that, like to a team like that, it's better to lose 6-5 and have some excitement in that game and the offense clicking than to lose one nothing and not, mm-hmm. not get anything going and get shut down by, uh, who was it, Scott Wedgwood in net for most of the night for Arizona? That would have been... Uh... Yeah. yeah, that would have, that would have been definitely more disappointing. We we got three other games that uh, the Ducks had because we have some to extend back into uh, last week because the last show Stephen and I recorded was on the Saturday, so that was before the Ducks lost one nothing in regulation to the Penguins. The Casey DeSmith show in that game. Uh, then the Ducks won three two in overtime against the St. Louis Blues thanks to a beautiful shootout or not shootout penalty shot OT winner from Troy Terry, and then the four one win against the Kraken on uh, on Wednesday. So the Ducks over the last four games have gone 2-1-1. and They're 17-9-6 on the season and sit first in the Pacific Division. I know there's a few teams. I think Edmonton and Vegas, maybe Calgary, can catch them. Uh, they've got some games in hand. But even if they do, like the Ducks are still within a point or two or you know a few points from those teams so it's not like they've played five more games and if the other teams caught up they'd be you know well in the bottom they're they're right in the mix which is come christmas not where any of us expected them to be at all nobody not a soul that we've heard write or talk about this team thought that they were going to be here no way yeah and they that one loss against uh, pittsburgh was their only regulation loss in december and it was a game they probably could have won out you know I think that there was a closer game, 
Uh, but Casey DeSmith really stood on his head. The, the Ducks outshot the Penguins 33-16 to 16 in that game. So, yeah, Casey DeSmith kind yeah, of they stole, stole that one. The, He stole that game. Yeah, especially late on, too. Like, the last minute and a half when uh, Gibson got pulled, the Ducks had, like, three or four really, really good chances that DeSmith, uh, DeSmith kind of got them out. So the, the Ducks edged um, the Penguins in high-danger chances and scoring chances for by a pretty big margin for both in that game, as well as just regular shots. The Penguins kind of controlled the pace of the play when you're looking at shot attempts in that game. But uh, that that's just not bad to lose to that team and that to be your only regulation losses. And then your other losses are a shootout loss to Washington, a overtime loss to the Coyotes. And I forget what the uh, – there was another shootout loss. It was right after the Caps game. I can't remember who they were playing. Uh, or right before the Caps game. But there was another uh, right overtime shootout loss that the Ducks had this month. Other than that, all Ws. And it, against, that was against Calgary. Calgary, Yeah, right. that was yeah, Calgary. Yeah. Calgary in the shootout, right? Yep. Yeah, so it's, I was at that game too. <laughs> you've been at, at a lot of them with uh, with Dave and his signs. I love it. Dave and his signs. Oh yeah, <laughs> Dave and his sandwich boards. Dave embarrassing me. So, <laughs> of being the biggest hey, cheerleader ever, he's great. Um. So here's the thing that's interesting, right? Anaheim is eighth in the West in points percentage, but tied with Calgary in overtime losses which means they're they've got the, like you know like they don't have the highest win percentage despite having the tied for the most overtime like loser yeah. points in the west so like i wasn't planning on this going this direction to be completely honest i was just kind of curious but i i do think if there are signs of kind of what people are kind of wondering which is what this how sustainable this is like that might be something to be nervous about um but again like you know they can catch another hot streak and if they go you know four oh and two or something like that then all of a sudden you know they're they're really picking up that points percentage they're banking wins things like that so it'll be interesting let's go back to what Um, we've been talking about often on all all, all season steve is is you were saying and i agree with you if this team doesn't make the playoffs, isn't very good, but these kids kick ass all year, who cares? We win. Yeah. Like we, we want these kids to take a step forward, right, and be happy, happy about it. I think the fact that we're all sitting here discussing can the wheels fall off and we're going to get bummed here for a minute is kind of insane that we're we're already at we're already at basically the new year and we're like, hey, we're first in the Pacific Division. What the hell is going on? It's it's pretty insane mm-hmm. that we get to have that conversation because in reality we were like, hopefully these kids make a step and then uh, we'll get another high pick and go from there. Yeah, like, hopefully trade some vets. <laughs> when you think that going into the season, the worst case was we finished dead last, and yeah, that that was what the worst case and the most likely situation was. And now where the Ducks are in the standings currently, you could say probably worst case is they slip just out of the playoffs and just missed because they they're in a pretty comfortable position. Uh, Vegas is starting to go on a roll right now, and I I would imagine come season's end, Vegas probably tops this division. Edmonton has fallen because they're on a slump, but eventually they'll turn it around with McDavid and Drysdale and, and Calgary just has to get players off, Let's hope not. off the COVID protocol. But the Ducks are in so that mix. They, they're in the four of this division. There's a clear four in the central in Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, and Colorado. So they're battling with, you know, I guess the central division teams, because I don't think LA and San Jose are going to keep this up. So they're battling with Winnipeg and potentially Dallas for that final playoff spot. And they're, pretty far in front of those teams right now 
that I have confidence that they could probably snag that last playoff spot, which is, yeah, again, like we say this every podcast, something we th- we didn't think we'd be saying at this point. So right now, the wild card... So, okay, right now, according to ESPN, the, the Western Conference playoffs, Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis in the Central, Anaheim, Vegas, Calgary in the Pacific, Colorado, Edmonton uh, as the wild cards. Um, I, like, Edmonton, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, are we 100% sure Edmonton is going to be able to pull it out? Like, I know that they have those two guys, but, like, if Miko Koskinen isn't like, didn't he start the season on Superfire? Like, if he's not good, which oh no, it's Mike Smith. Mike Smith started is, the season on Fire and they, got hurt. Okay, but like someone at the airport. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> like v- Vietnam flashbacks. Yeah, I don't know. Oh a helicopter goodness. just flew right over my apartment. I, you know, yeah, it's just like the hamster or whatever. Yeah, stupid. Um... But it just, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm i am really curious to see kind of, how, that's what I wanted to ask you guys is like, how do you guys think, you know, that, that this season kind of shakes out like in this division, like which of these teams, excluding Anaheim, like who do you think is a real like threat in the Pacific? Because Eichel's coming at some point and I just looked at them. Right. In the month of December, they've gone seven and two. Or, yeah, seven and two, and their their one loss came in for first game of the month against Anaheim, a six five loss, and they lost to Philadelphia four to three. Other than that, they've just kind of bullied the rest of the teams that they've played. Hasn't been great opposition. They've beat Arizona, Calgary, Dallas, Minnesota, Boston, New Jersey, and I think that's the Islanders. Was on Friday. I, I always mix up the colors. Either the Islanders or the Rangers. They beat in a shootout. I love how that was people's cup pick this year. I love everyone thought the Islanders were going to win the cup. That's <laughs> yeah, you've been relishing in their in their struggles this year so <laughs> firmly out of a playoff spot but yeah like I, I think in terms of who can compete in the pacific and who who's really a team that that is going to be dangerous it's it's vegas i don't i have my own issues i think calgary is pretty dangerous too honestly. i think so i think there's there's things you can pick apart with that team they'd be my second pick i think edmonton this still lacks the goaltending and defense for me to put them above the other two edmonton's in the ken mix holland came out and said he's willing to go out and get whoever he has to get in that in those positions a defenseman or a goaltender how, so how many years we'll has edmonton said that though right <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it is Ken Holland. Like Ken Holland, at least yeah. has the proven track record of making there's a Detroit or at least trying out. to address things. Like I'm not saying they all work. I like yeah, no shit. I'm not saying that all of it worked, but like I do think he does have a little bit of a track record. Like honestly, at this point, I still think Calgary is the team that I'd be most worried about. Like Daryl Sutter, man, he's a son of a bitch. He really is. He's such a good coach, and I think you know, that they've got so much talent up front. And the question is going to be about that defense, but like Oliver Shillington's having a good year right now and, and playing up to his kind of potential. And they'll stuff. add so to, I, you I have think, to imagine they'll add, so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, other than like Vegas, I really do think it's Calgary and that's it. Like, I don't think, you know, there's anybody you expect to make a deep run as is. I think the question more so is for the Ducks in terms of making the playoffs is not the teams already in the spot, but of the teams out of a playoff spot in the West right now, who's more likely to jump up either into the Pacific Division standings or into those wildcard spots? 
I, there aren't many I have confidence in. Like going from the bottom up, Arizona, Seattle are done. Chicago's likely done. Uh, Dallas, maybe they'd have to get really hot. And the same goes for Vancouver. Vancouver's won six in a row. I think they have a bet uh, of the teams out. I think Vancouver and Winnipeg have the best teams, and have have the likeliest chance of too, jumping yeah. in. Uh, Van- but yeah, Vancouver's a long way to go just because of the four teams in the Pacific in front of them are are so far in front of the points wise right now that it's it's very hard for them to catch up. Like the Canucks have played the second most games, thirty one behind Anaheim, who has thirty two, and they only have thirty points. Edmonton has thirty four, but they have three games in hand, so they could be as much as 10 points in front of the Canucks. I, I think the Jets, with potentially a new coach coming in, I think they also have a really good roster. And they'd be the most dangerous one for me if the Ducks fell into a wild card spot of being able to take that that spot for them. But the Jets have to play Minnesota, Nashville, St. Louis, and Colorado a bunch of times for the rest of this year too, which is going to be tough. So here's the thing. I want to get Pat's opinion on this real quick. So we, me and Eddie have kind of talked about this and like Solomon, like whether he should buy or sell or how much of that's going to be dictated, you know, by in a large part, just by how January goes. Um, I, I think we all agree that the rosters as is Anaheim probably has the fourth best roster in the division. I think you could say, you know, I think they're better than San Jose. I think they're better than the Kings. Um, and I think they're obviously better than Arizona. The question is, is kind of where do you kind of feel about them with like Vancouver? Um, and like, do you think Pat that it's worth Anaheim looking into making an ad or would you rather just write it out how it is? So I guess whenever you get asked this question, you kind of have to look at it in one of two directions, which is if you make that ad, are you dangerous enough to win? Or are you dangerous enough to get out of the first round and then lose? Like, what's the end game here with this this roster and this team, with with the guys that are mm-hmm. about to become free agents? Uh, I just I feel like this is it would be the wrong time to sell and try to get a big piece and make a run. This team is not fit for a cup. I I, I love this team to death, and I think people are people are going to like that answer from me, but because it's fun right now. You're in first place, you got forty points. Um, things are good, right? You're, these kids are scoring. Uh, but we're, we're really getting out of games with these wins. Uh, sometimes I feel like just sometimes it's just too close. I, I'm not comfortable looking at this team going, oh, they're pretty fit for a long cup run. I don't see the point in, in holding on to players at this point. I think I think you sell. I don't think you buy. You know what they look more like? And, and this isn't, I'm, again, I'm probably going to get flack for this. They look like the team who surprises and gets to the final and loses. Like that's what they look more like than you know, the powerhouses who make it there, the Tampas or Colorado or Boston. Like, right. They look like a Montreal, right? In a sense, like they got a lot of good young players clicking. They could make a run, uh, but they could easily come I mean, outside the, year outside the Ducks' good. top defensive pair, I mean, the, the defense is pretty shaky. It's a pretty shaky go after after Lindholm and Drysdale. I, I, you I see, you, you, look at, you look good. at the stat, you look at the stat line, and you might get happy seeing Shattenkirk scoring and, um, and, but that's 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 the thing, right? Like Shattenkirk scoring is huge. Like that's what he was brought in to do. He settled into a third line role. He's being productive on the second power play unit. Like I honestly feel better about this defense. But, than let me I let me pose it this way then. The season. And, this team, in in my opinion, is being held together by special teams. They're living and dying on special teams. Like they're 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 playing well. Otherwise, some most of the time, 
like a lot of the time, I wouldn't say most of the time, but they have two of the top best specialty specialty team groups in the league. Yeah, fourth and um, fourth. And, and what happens? What happens in in the postseason when when these calls dry up? And are they able to make? The, that's going to be a real tough so, go in the playoffs for these guys. Games get tighter. Game teams play a lot heavier. This team is not a heavy team, and I know that people are going to be like, oh, well, teams don't always play heavy. Like, dude, playoff hockey is playoff hockey. I'm sorry. You can add all the speed you want to it, but there's a nastiness and a heaviness to it. I, I don't think that they're in that spot to be competitive in that realm yet. They don't, they don't have a Tampa Bay Lightning roster. They don't. <laughs> they just don't. They don't have that skill. So, I, I think that's fair. But I, I think for me, right, like when I look at this roster – and you look at the fact that they have what about ten and a half, eleven at this point in, in yeah, cap space. Um, you know, I, I I really do think that like, and this is again, this goes to the kind of the pie in the sky shit me and Eddie were talking about. But like, I think if you add a Pavelski, if you add a Giroux, I think that helps up that five on five play because you can either have them center uh, a line or you can move them up onto a, a wing with Getze, and now you can slot Henrique down with like Lundestrom and Silverberg, and that is an incredibly strong um, third line. You know, and, and that's still without, you know, now you're putting maybe Comtois on the, for the fourth line with like Steele and Carrick or something like that. Like, I just. I I I don't disagree with anything you guys have said as far as like looking like a team that gets there and loses. But like I do think that there are a handful of players out there that could be meaningful difference makers that, that Anna could realistically get because they are in a very kind of special spot with yeah, how much capital I agree with that in, in the sense that there might be some players who don't get moved because does, there does are this team beat Calgary them. in a playoff in a playoff series right now? I don't I don't buy it. I think it's close. I I think it's yeah. I, I think they lose in six. If you okay, do they get by Vegas in a playoff six. series? Uh, no, no. Vegas, they're going to be playing Vegas one of the two Eichel. of those. I would right? say right now Vegas without Eichel, right. it's close, and it's and I still think Vegas wins with Eichel. It's it's uh, I mean we haven't seen how he fits, but if Eichel comes back healthy, plays a line with Patrick and Stone. Is is no question. I think they're they're just a better built team right now. No, I 100 percent agree. I I think it does to me hinge on can you add another difference maker? Because if you can, like, I mean, look, the reality of it is, is the top four, like the underlying numbers for the top four, are really solid. They're all pretty much about or just above break even in Corsi and expected goals, both pairs. And, um, you know, Gibby's Gibby, like as much as he's like maybe struggled, you know, some people feel he struggled this year. I think he's been a little bit better than that. Um, but he have his, obviously he hasn't hit, you know, kind of his peak right now, like his, his top form. Like if you told me like this defense and Gibby were set and all I had to do was maybe add another top six forward like I, I don't know man i i like that team i i you know again depending on what the cost is i don't know that it's not worth it because it's kind of just a free shot like i think it is but like the know. problem 
problem for me is that if you're adding, you're also not selling. So then you've committed, right? So then you're potentially let's say let's just say Drew for for sake of argument. You add Drew, you pay some assets to get Drew. You then have Drew, Raquel, Manson, Lindholm as pending on UFAs at the end of the year. Um, you can't bring them all back. I don't think you bring Drew back because of his age. He's likely a He's likely gone probably back to, to Philadelphia at uh, a cheaper deal at that point. Yeah. You let three of them walk at the end of the year. I'd rather just do it. I, I think that's okay. I honestly do. Like, I understand, but, like, I understand the hesitations, and I definitely think there is something to be said for you don't want to go into next season relying on Getzloff turning the clock back, relying on – Henrik kind of re-emerging as like a top six winger. Like, I don't think that this you know, team feels like Getzloff's going to be coming back and having to having to play these types of minutes. They feel like all these other kids are going to take that next step and, and slide that roster down. <sighs> yes, but by that same time, I think you're right, like as far as projection, but I do think like we have seen that like as much as I've appreciated what Lundestrom has done this year, he's not having the impact nope. that like Getzloff is on defense and so i think like you know like unless they were going to go out and get like another version of philip to know like i don't know you know I, I would kind of just be fine with just trying to lock up lindholm right now and having everybody else just walk in the end of the summer and just see what happens take that free experience for you know zegris and them you probably call it mctavish as a black ace or whatever at that point too like i just think I think you could put yourself in a very interesting position going forward with some of these players. If you Even who are you giving up in the work. process? Yeah. Comtois, probably, probably somebody like that uh, picks as well. Uh, depends who the sure. guy is. Yeah. Like, listen, like for the guy, for those big name players with a huge salary cap, like cap hit like Pavelski and Giroux and a few of the other pending UFAs that have that have massive cap hits. <clears throat> Ducks are one of maybe three or four teams who can afford to bring them in. I think New York is one of them, and I would put New York probably at the top of that list of teams who will call on Giroux and Pavelski because mm-hmm. they can afford it and you know it, they'll be a pure rental and they've got some of the younger assets to go out and do it. That won't hurt them. Uh, Minnesota, I think, will be up there as well. Calgary potentially could be a team like that. The Ducks are in that mix because of where they are in the standings right now, that they have the cap space to make it happen. For me, what you do first, your first decision should be, let's see what we can get for Ricard Raquel, Josh Manson, potentially Hampus Linton. What does the market say? What are, what are our best offers? If you're not getting what you want, like if the offer for Raquel is a second-round pick or Josh Manson, the same thing, like you're not getting what you think is full value. I'm fine keeping those guys because of that and trying to make a run. I'm fine with that because what you were going to get for them really wasn't going to help this team that much anyway, like a second-round pick or so or a B-level prospect. Then I'm fine keeping them. And then maybe if you want to look at adding and, and, you know, at that point it's not going to cost you too much, sure. Like I think a Giroux or a Pavelski are going to cost way too much. But maybe you add another kind of middle six forward to that to just try and go for a run or, you know, a, a another defenseman to, to add to the mix to, to play with Shattenkirk or something like that, right? Then then I'm fine with that. I think it all depends on the offers. Uh, before you can kind of make that decision, you really got to see what you could get for your, your own pending UFAs, regardless of where you are in the standings. I think that should be priority number one. I mean, Raquel's on pace if this season doesn't get shut yeah. down to hit almost 30 goals this season. So it'll be interesting for him. He's he's going to have a lot of worth yeah, coming no, trade deadline. Yeah, and his cap hit will, will 
as well. We'll maybe I, put him at the top of that list of, of for teams that are against the And cap. he's not even shooting obscenely. He's actually just scoring. Now. He's shooting about 12%, which is right around his career average of 11. So, yeah, he'll, he'll he's be, back to normal. This is normal Raquel. He'll be high on the wish list of a lot of teams. And uh, we, we talked about that last year. And because his cap hit is, is so team-friendly for whoever gets him, the teams that are really cap-strapped, the Toronto's, you know, the uh, Vegas really wouldn't be looking to add, but those types of teams, Boston, will be looking at him because you know they, they don't have to move a big contract off the books. Uh, you, they almost could probably eat the whole thing if the Ducks wanted. They could eat you know up to fifty percent of that to even bring it down more to get more assets in return to open up to more teams to potentially be interested. I would imagine the value on Raquel, Ricard Raquel is good. I think they get an offer. I think he ends up getting moved. Josh Manson might be a bit more difficult. And Steven and I talked about this too. Like replacing Josh Manson is a bit more difficult than replacing Ricard Raquel right now in this lineup. I, there's a lot of young forwards I think you could slot up uh, that could take the place of Ricard Raquel right now. Maxi Comtois coming back at, uh, helps a lot in that case as well. Um, even if you wanted to you know, take Troy, I, I wouldn't take Troy Terry off with, with Getzlaff right now, but you could potentially, you know, take Troy Terry off and play him with Zegers and Milano and, and have uh, Getzlaff play with Henrik and Steele or something like that when Henrik comes back. So, you know, and there's guys like Perot and Tracy in San Diego as well that I'm sure the Ducks want to give a shot at some point this year. So he's easier to replace than Josh Manson where, you know, the options for him are Josh Mahura and Simon Benoit both play or Jacob Larson comes up. So it's not, uh, it's not as easy at that point. And then Hampus Lindholm is the real interesting one because you know, the, there's going to be a ton of teams interested in rightfully so, but the Ducks will be among those teams that will be interested in keeping him around. And from what we've heard from him is he wants to explore free agency. doesn't mean he won't re-sign in Anaheim. But of all the players who could be the most valuable to the Ducks moving forward, he's at the top of that list. He'd be the hardest one, I think, to, to move out. And, and I don't think you can move out both Manson and Lindholm because then you're essentially packing the season in at that point. How, how much do you think this start helps get you into the room with Lindholm to, like, talk about an extension? I, I'm sure they've already had it, and, and I definitely like, think seriously, it helps like, uh, for any of these guys. You know, even not in an extension terms, but Gibson. You know, we talk, we joked before about him asking for a trade, but how much does this winning kind of change his mind potentially on wanting to stick around? So I think it's the same conversation there. I, I'm sure... It makes it easier, in a sense, going into contract extensions and, and talking to him about and convincing him to stick around. I think in that sense, it helps. But it also hurts you because if you're playing well, it means he's playing well, which he is, which means he'll want more money, and it makes those conversations even harder. It's easier to go into those contract extensions if the Ducks were bad this year and Lindholm had a really bad year, and you said, I'm oh, sorry, like you just did not play at that level. These guys you're you're trying to get, you know, the eight and a half nine million dollar for eight year deal uh it, it's easier that way but he's he's playing great this year and uh, you know games like he had last night don't uh, don't help the ducks in that case and trying to lock him down for a bit cheaper you know as far as josh manson goes uh elliot friedman quoted a, a general manager saying your wife does not love you as much as the ducks love josh manson or is bob so, murray as much as bob murray yeah. loves josh manson so. <laughs> and with uh with what is I love that. Anyway, sorry. I, I was Stevens. I don't know who set that up in the Skype call, but that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Did, I was just good. I can't. We can't see you on the stream anymore. Okay, there we go. <laughs> but, and Lindholm um, being twenty nine. I mean, 
he's going to want the big deal. All these players always want the big deal. So he's almost like 29. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Oh, no, don't like this at all. Jefferson, when is your birthday? January 20th. Oh, my God. That's crazy. It'll be 28. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I added a year to his age. My bad. <laughs> Stop aging, my boy. Well, we it's too much for her. We've got mother. Uh, one of the topics we we're going to get to that. It Look what of, they've done to my beautiful boy. Exactly. Kind of goes on trend with uh, with the decision to keeping Hampus Lindholm. Uh, so we might as well move into that, and then we got to to get back to some more topics. But the rumor is out that apparently the Coyotes are listening on Jacob Chikrin, Um and you know the price is very very high. But he's coming off what was an excellent season last year. And his even strength offense has just completely went out the window. Like it, it's just abysmal compared to what he did last year. Eighteen goals, forty-one points, and I think fifty-six games last year. And he's got like two goals and seven points this year through the the first few games. A lot of that is because Arizona is just awful this year, and there's been nothing going for them offensively. But everything else has relatively stayed the same. Even his even strength defense has actually picked up a little bit this year, which is surprising to just how bad the team has been. He makes four point six million for the next three years. He turns twenty four in March. If you're the Ducks, do you if if you have an idea if you don't think Lindholm's coming back or whatever you're gonna sign him for is gonna be either too long or too much for, that you're comfortable with, and you can acquire Jacob Chikrin, do you just go out and get Chikrin, you know, if it's a first and a couple prospects and then move Lindholm to recoup some of those assets back and bring in the younger player? that can hopefully stick around your top four for the next seven years rather than Lindholm for maybe the next four or five? Go, Pat. I would. But that's where I'm at on that. I would definitely would. I'm I'm not sure. That's hard to say no to that player. That's hard to say no. Yeah, even even including this season. Yeah, he's a big he's a big defenseman. He's twenty three years old. He's got a lot of upside. He's not going to be signing for an eight by eight coming up on it when when he's due for a contract. Lindholm's definitely going to be asking for an eight by eight, or he's going to be asking for, you know, he's making at least nine six and a half. Right? Like he's he's making more than Fowler makes at the end of the day when he yeah. signs a contract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I I just. I don't know. I just feel like it's almost <laughs> with Mahura and Benoit seeming to be, you know, three, four, five, or four, five, six kind of caliber players, and Fowler looking like a legitimate top four defenseman, and you know Zellweger coming up. Like I just, I don't know, man. I just wonder, like how. How much, how many guys can you bring in to play that side? And wouldn't the Ducks just be better serving, like, kind of just holding it? Like, at this point, if you could go, you know, Fowler, Mahura, Benoit down the left-hand side because you move out Lindholm, like, that makes sense to me more so than bringing in Chikrin and then seeing how far away Zellweger is. Because if Zellweger's, you know, a year and a half, two years away, I don't know. Maybe you'd rather just just kind of wait it out. But 
I'm more worried about if they're going to bring D'Lo back after this year. <laughs> you know he's coming back. You want to talk about eight by eight? Eight by eight. Eight hundred thousand like, by I, eight years. Like, oh, yeah, don't you think? Don't you think Chikrin and Zellweger are kind of like for like as far as what their impact is going to be at the NHL level? I would say like top end. You're hoping for a Gerard, Sam Gerard. Jacob Chikrin type player from Olin Zellweger. The thing I always say with prospects, though, is that is best case for him, right? Is that right. he gets to that. In Jacob Chikrin's case, he's already there. You know he's there. And he's signed for $4.6 million for the next three years. It gives you some cap flexibility. And you like if you don't have to give up Olin Zellweger, he plays on the right side as a left-handed defenseman. You potentially could have Chikrin, Fowler, Drysdale, Zellweger as your top four. And uh, yeah, I just, I, and the, the same discussion lot of we had with cap gymnastics, they're going to have to pull off here because the following year they got Comtois, Troy Terry, and Trevor Zegers. The that's, more money you can save now before yeah. you have to re-sign Zegers yeah, and Drysdale, and the be- and the better you can keep this team. Like selling Lindholm now and not replacing him, you get a lot of cap flexibility there that you're you know you're going to be fine. But I think this team is good enough, like we've talked about previously or earlier on the show today, is good enough to be a playoff team and potentially you know win a couple rounds depending on who they play. And bringing in Chikrin keeps the same quality around the team that you have now and into next season. You're not having to wait for Zellweger to come. You've got a Lindholm replacement in already. You've got the young players on the way. You've got a few years to try and go for it before Zegris and Drysdale end their entry-level contracts and I imagine Zegris is going to sign a similar deal with Jack Hughes, which I think was an eight by eight. So you you know mm-hmm. you look at the teams and every team that's tried to win with real young superstars have tried to do it on the entry level contracts because that, you know when right. the deals kicked in for Matthews and Marner, look how tough it's been for the Leafs to to get things going. McDavid getting twelve million and then having to resign Drysaddle. Like they they cap space dries up pretty quick when you have to sign these guys. I don't think Drysdale is going to get a major deal. When his entry level contract expires, unless the next couple seasons after this just start kicking off, but yeah, I, I think if you can add a player like Jacob Chikrin now, it, it gives you a couple years where you can really try and and go for it while they're, you know, while they're on their contract, and it saves you some money. Again, like Lindholm is going to get at least six and a half, but I, you run in circles with this this conversation because you're going to have to give up good young assets to get Chikrin too. We're not talking about just getting him for free. It's going to cost you a first round right. pick and one of your top prospects that passed you over Perot, potentially Zellweger, right? So it you are losing some of the, these younger assets to bring in a guy like that too. I mean, would you do Pastyov, Zellweger in two seconds? I think you have to, right? Uh, if you if you really think Jacob Trickin is the player he was last year and the struggles this year are just because Arizona sucks and everything everything right. for him has kind of stayed the same except for his even strength offense so that i think you can chalk up to the team just not being that great um you know for in the case we talked about Zellweger, the best case is he turns into a player like jacob chikrun so if you're saying it's the chance of Zellweger and two seconds right. to get him and then the extra added piece is past you up that's the real dagger is losing a player like past you up but again it's it's still dice rolling with these younger guys. They look great. They're, the chances of them becoming a star in a lot of models are high, but there's still a chance, right? There's still a chance they don't. Right. And you can get a player like Chikrin who immediately solidifies your top four in defense for the next four to five years, and, or at least three of your top four in Drysdale, Fowler, Chikrin, 
I think uh, I think that's worth it. But I just imagine the price is going to be insane. And I don't know why Arizona would even want to move him in the first place. He's only 23 on a great deal. He should be a piece right. that they're building around. Let it, you know, him and Keller should be the two guys that they're building around, not trying to move out. But I think they're just a, a team that's so bad they're just kind of listening just to see what they could get, right? Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. It's just, you know, it's the same as with the Sam Gerrard situation. It's like, yeah, if you can go out and get a player like that, it makes a lot of sense. But, like, why would the team in question move them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, it's like they're yeah, going to be in, not, not like not like Phoenix is going to be in a position to be good anytime soon with Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, but he's only twenty three, right? So, so in so five think, years he'll be twenty eight. Yeah, and and it does it. If they get a top pick this year and get a Shane Wright, or no, they're forever buffaloed. Okay, like they're going to get top picks <laughs> and never be good. They, they haven't got it before. Is. They have This is the they've finally. They've had one playoff run in the history of this franchise that was decent. I, I like the the pieces that they have, and I think keeping Chikrin is is important because now you've got Keller and Chikrin to build around. You brought in Dylan Genther in the draft last year. You're going to get a top player. They're going to Houston. They're, they're going to be Houston Buffalo. But you can't you, you, you can't you can't build your team expecting that, right? You got to try and compete, and I think those are two players they got to keep. We could probably talk about this forever, but we have some actual Ducks related stuff to get into. We, we didn't even talk Good about move. our our top performers of the week, but Troy Terry, no surprise, was the Ducks' best player this week. Three goals, one assist in four games. Uh, he just led the Ducks in pretty much every individual offensive category. He generated 21 individual scoring chances for. The next highest was Raquel with 13. He had 12 individual high dangerous chances for. The next highest were Milano, Lindstrom, and Grant with six. He drew four penalties, led the Ducks with 16 shots on goal, so he really did everything. Troy Terry never really went anywhere, but I guess you could say on the score sheet, at least, he's back. Uh, that game against Pittsburgh was unreal. He should have got a couple goals in that one. Sean in the in the game against St. Louis, and then uh, he had a goal in the game after that against the Crack, and even looked pretty good last night, too, picked up an assist. So he clearly led the way for the Ducks. Sam Steele, three assists in four games. Zegris had two goals and assists that came all in the last two games. Obviously, a goal against the Crack and a goal and an assist last night. And everybody got on the score sheet except Josh Manson, who had no points in four games. And I guess you could throw Comtois <laughs> and Mahura in there, but they only played one game, so I'm not I don't want to lump them in with there. But everybody got in the score sheet over the last four games except Josh Manson, unfortunately. Go figure. All right. Well, I'm I, I can tell when I'm not wanted around anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. Enjoy that lasagna tonight, babe. There you go. Yeah, no kidding, eh? I it's it's a good week for Anaheim, man. Like you know, it's they they have players playing well. The young guys are still going all out. Like it's just nice. Like you know, the trap game sucks, but it happens. Like you're not gonna win 82 games, and you know, like I said, I I would rather drop the game to Arizona. I know that kind of goes against some of what we talked about in the last couple of weeks as far as beating the teams you're supposed to beat, and I get that. But I just think I would rather give up a free point to Arizona than give it to Edmonton or Vegas yeah, who have the horses and the fire firepower to really make it hurt you in the That's longer. three years of me forgetting that giving an extra point to a playoff team matters when we haven't been <laughs> in a position where it's mattered. So, yeah, if you're going to give up an extra point to a Pacific Division opponent, then, yeah, or I guess they're in the Central now. But if you're going to give up points to any team that could beat right. you out of a playoff spot, it would be the oh, one. Oh, no, the shit, they are in the Central. I messed well, that up earlier, they could too. They still 
if they were good, they could still beat you out in a wild card spot. They're they're nowhere near that. But it's better to give up a point to them than let's say Winnipeg or somebody like that, Dallas in the Central, who could uh, who could catch you and and potentially take you out of a a wild card spot. Not if we trade for Joe (laughs) Pavelski. He's going to Toronto. He's going to Toronto. Don't worry. He has he had Toronto PJs as a kid, even though he's American. So. But uh, we got to. We got to. You're, you're removed from the show. <laughs> it's all right. He's going there. Just wait. I, I, f- I have a feeling he's. They're gonna make it happen. But uh, we got to talk about Troy Terry. Like this, this guy is unbelievable. This man. fucking this, guy. This fucking guy. He's just unreal. He he has to have some of the best close control uh, in the entire league right now, at least. Right. Like when he gets in front of the net, like that goal, the power play goal against uh, the Kraken. Like he had what about two seconds to make a decision there, and he you know most guys will just fire that on net on a one timer. He pulls it in close, gets a better shooting angle, and then just snipes it right under the bar. And you again, you look at some of the moves he walked Dumoulin and Latang in the game against um, Pittsburgh. He had the penalty shot overtime winner against St. Louis, where he deked John Gillies out of his pants. And he's just been – this is a whole side of Troy Terry like we've never seen. We've seen it in the shootout, like when he was at the World Junior Championships. He you know, he pulled the move out every now and then. Uh, but all of a sudden, like I, I don't know where he got this confidence from. He He's talked about it in a few interviews where you know, he just kind of stopped getting so upset and letting hockey kind of control his life. And I don't know if that's what's kind of brought the best out in him. But who knows? Like he just – the whole nother level this year, 30 points in 31 games is, is absurd – the fact that this guy could put up 70 to 80 points this year uh, is ridiculous. If you had asked me last year, if a Ducks player was going to put up 70 to 80 points, you know, who would it be? And I think, you know, Zegris would have been in that discussion. You could have said, okay, maybe, you know, maybe Getzlaff has a resurgence that comes back. Comtois led the team in scoring, so maybe him. Terry would have been like fourth or fifth on that list, I think, just based off his play before that. But, man, like this guy, every, every day he goes out there and – and he's clearly the, the Ducks' best forward. Sorry, I got two cats fighting back here. Holy. He's he's definitely been the Ducks' best forward all season. I mean, by far. I mean, obviously, it doesn't take, it doesn't take an analyst or an expert to see that. Uh, I bet you he wishes it was next year he had this breakout year before his contract comes up. <laughs> if he was going to have this blowout year. Maybe. Uh, or he just puts yeah. up back-to-back 70-plus point seasons and just gets paid insanely he's got more more uh more proof there right and what was what was the bet if if he hits 60 points eddie has to buy a seth jones jersey and wear it with a ducks logo on it that wasn't i'm pretty sure that's exactly (laughs) i don't think so i think that was if uh, (laughs) seth jones gets more norse votes than hampus lindholm (laughs) which is a foregone conclusion the way uh the way the voters pick we're getting the full contract lindholm experience right now dude this kid He's balling out, man. He has just decided I am getting paid come hell or high water. Yep, he's gonna. I have never seen Hampus <laughs> Lindholm so active in the offensive zone in his entire he's career. Third he's on like, the Ducks and shots paid. on goal. It's Terry Zegris and Lindholm. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking right, baby. Averaging yeah. over two shots per game. He had seven shots on goal he last saw... night. He ain't stupid. He saw what happened this summer. He knows how to get paid. This man said, "I'm gonna play 23 minutes a night, take 75 shots a game." He's like, we're going to fucking do it. I think he has more goals than Seth Jones. He just has less assists. Yep. Yeah, Seth Jones has been picking up those garbage secondary assists on the power play like crazy. So. We should count secondary assists then for well, Seth Jones. Listen, the the vote, the, the bet is not on how many points. It's 
who votes gets more votes for the Norris. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm still gonna be right. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know, man. We'll see. What did Stephen have? What did Stephen have to buy again? Uh, it was a Seth Jones Ducks jersey. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where and I think I think it had to say literally like his full name on the back too to make it even worse. Like it Seth, just Seth Jones, because yeah. people wouldn't think it's a Max Jones jersey. It was like S. Jones. Is <laughs> what it has to What's say? What's the one for you? Uh, I don't remember. We'll have to go back and watch that show. Because I know it's the Ekman Larson thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened if I lost that bet, the Lindholm Jones bet. I can't remember. I feel like we almost agreed the loss. The the loser just had to get a Seth Jones. Jersey. Yeah, Seth Jones. A Seth, a Seth okay. Jones Ducks jersey. That was that was the bet. I think so. God, it's gonna be so fucking stupid. <laughs> Lindholm needs to, to calm down it. a little bit because I'm getting starting to get a little bit worried. Uh, I can't wait till Lindholm fucking wins the Norris. <laughs> All right. And Seth Jones comes in second. You still lose. Uh, there's, Let's there's no go. Way. They, he, Lindholm might get two votes and <laughs> Seth Jones might get one. That's <laughs> somebody else is running the Norris though. But uh, Maxim Comtois came back last night. It was fun to see him back. He was a little bit ahead of schedule. I think like a week or so, a week and a half ahead of the six-week schedule that he was given. Uh, nice to see him back. Put in a position to succeed right away, which I commend the coaching staff on to play him with Getzlaff and Terry right off the bat. Uh, I, they look decent. Comtois played 1844 in his return, so they didn't ease him back into action at all. He played, uh, I think, the third or fourth most time on ice among Ducks forwards last night. Zegers had the most at uh, just over 22 minutes. He was a minus two, one shot on goal, took one minor penalty. Had some uh, some moments in the game where he looked great, some moments where you could tell he was just playing his first he game. He had to take that penalty, points. by the way. People in, people in the stands were not happy yeah, about that. He had to. Yeah. I have absolutely no problem with the penalty he took that penalty is completely different than the dumbass penalty who was it character delorier took before that <laughs> like yeah i i you know like i've said it a thousand times before but like for me like i just don't think all penalties are bad i think sometimes you know you need to take a penalty whether it's to stop a goal or if it's something like that where you know no you don't get to jump the little guy like i'm gonna you know you, that's not what this is gonna mm. be and I think it's perfectly reasonable to just go over there and grab some dude by the fucking face. Like, I just have no problem with it. And part of being on a team sport is, like, you've got to pick up for each other. You know what I mean? So, like, it's not optimal. But, like, at the same time, like, you should be able to look at your guys and be like, look, I took a penalty there because I had to. And I, I need you guys to cover it up for me, right? Like, that's just part of being in a team sport. That's just part of you know, that kind of uh, togetherness and that, that camaraderie and the reality of playing in hockey. Like, you, you're going to take penalties. There's going to be penalty kills, and you need to be better at it. And if you can, you know, kill off those penalties like that, it really just makes the whole thing – it just makes the whole thing better for everybody. So, you know, I, I'm still kind of embarrassed by the fourth line last night. That really just looked god-awful. Um, but Max Comtois, I thought, had a, a good first game back. Um he was active. He was going to the front. He was, you know, trying to make his himself felt. So I was, I thought he had a good first game back. You didn't like games. the fights in the fourth line? 
No, I thought they were both fucking Well, they led stupid. to goals by Arizona, so... <laughs> I don't even get... Okay, let me say this. The first fight was fine. The first fight is just your classic stage, throw it yeah, down, two you know. enforcers on like the team I said, trying to do something. The O'Brien was on the first line. He wanted to make a point. That's fine. That Sam Carrick fight was embarrassing. There was no reason to do that. One, Larson tried the entire time not to be in that fight. And two, he just got put on his ass. So then he gets up and him and Delorier start, like, cross-checking the guy. And they just look like piss babies. Like, <laughs> they just look like fucking children. And then they give up the penalty and they score on it. Like, and again, like, it's a stupid penalty that didn't need to be taken. You of all people, Sam Carrick, need to understand that sometimes you just lose a hit. It doesn't mean you throw a fucking temper tantrum. Like, I, I really, and I feel like we had all kind of, as a Ducks community, spent like the last couple of games being like, Damn, Sam Carrick's really playing really well right now. It's really nice to see this kind of, you know, fourth liner on this team right now. And then he does some dumb shit like that. And Still it's just, a fourth liner. So you know, they're, they're going to happen at some point. Uh, right? I like the fights, yeah. just to say, yeah, honestly. No, I, I was fun to see. Well, the fight's fine. For me, there was a penalty after, right? That's the, the dumb part of that play. I don't care if he fights, but it's, uh, yeah, the... The fighting on a clean hit like that because you lost the hit you threw, like... It happens. Like, just fucking get up. All right, but, fight. But, but Maxime Comtois, <laughs> how many yeah. how many games uh, do you think it takes him to get back up to speed before we can get on him if the production isn't there? Thirty. I think he's going to score a goal within the next three games. Yeah, but did you say three or thirty? Pat said thirty. I said three. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure. If Pat I hope said three. he. I hope he comes back into some sort of form that he was in, man, pr- prior to the season because it's. Early showing's not good, then he got hurt, and now that he's back, this team's rolling. So hopefully, he just comes in and plugs right into the production. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, like I, what I'm kind of getting at at that point is where I'm comfortable right now chalking up the struggles of the beginning of the year to the hand injury that he had coming into the season, and then get surgery, and hopefully it's fixed. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, he just starts putting up points. We don't have to worry about it, and the puck starts going to the back of the net for him. We don't have to have this discussion. But I want to know how many games we're comfortable with without production, playing on a line with Getzlaff and Terry before we say, okay, is this more than the injury, right? Because it takes guys a couple games to get up to speed. They're playing a different system um, than he, you know, he hasn't really had time to gel in the new system that it took the Ducks about nine or ten games to gel to this new kind of system they're playing this year. So it's going to take him a bit. But I, I think for me, it's like four or five games. You know, come January, if he's still struggling and he's playing with Getzlaff and Terry, then I think there's there's some some reason for concern at that point. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, look, the way everything's gone over the last week, like it's probable that at least two of these games are going to get postponed, but whatever. The next five games are Edmonton, Vancouver, at Edmonton, at Vancouver, uh, home against San Jose, home against Vancouver, at Vegas. Over those five games, I, I think, I think there is there should be the expectations he puts up three points playing yeah. on that line with Getsy and power Terry play time too, and seeing right? this team be so. more effective. Mm-hmm. I, I think there is an expectation to me that he should put up about three points over those next five games. And what, you know, and they can't all be like secondary assists. I mean, I'll take it if it is, but I think you got to look for at least one or two goals. 
There's, there's um, a lot riding on this opportunity for Maxim Comtois right now, too, because Adam Henrique will come back at some point, and if, if he doesn't nail down that spot with Getzlaff and Terry, he'll be down to the third line with Lindstrom and Silverberg, which will be a lot harder for him to really get going offensively. And Adam Henrique will slot right back in on that top line where he was with Getzlaff and Terry. So this is a few, well, however many games it is until Henrique comes back, it's prime opportunity for Maxim Comtois to nail down that spot. And there's a lot of expectations on him because he led the Ducks in scoring last year. So he really, and, and how he started the, the year this year, there's some concerns that, okay, like which, you know, what type of player is he? How much did that injury affect him? You know, he's getting put in the best situations here. We saw Sam Steele get to play with Getzlaff and Terry for a handful of games, and he looked okay. He looked, he looked better over the last three games before getting demoted to the fourth line. But you were looking for somebody to come in that line and, and, and take advantage of the opportunity to run with it. And I think the best guy to do that right now, you would think, is Maxim Comtois. He's got the skill side. Let, let, once he settles in, yeah. I think he'll be fine. I agree. Yeah, he seems like the perfect fit for that line, right, in terms of what he does and what type of – him or uh-huh. Max Jones would kind of be the perfect fit to play with those guys. Like, they're going to find Jones. you anywhere. So you just need to yeah. go to the net with your stick on the ice. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great, too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Yeah, no, I think that's 100% right. I think he makes the most sense there just from like a scheme perspective and a fit perspective. Um, you know, you've got him on a line with two playmakers like that. But like you said, uh, yeah, I guess feel stupid just to repeat everything you said. But like you said, like Henrik played so well with that line, you know, that it, if Comtois can't grab that horse by the reins and give Dallas Eakins a reason to keep him on that line, he's going to end up back down on the third line. And I, I don't have a problem with that because that elevates the skill level and the offensive upside third line by giving someone like that who can score those, those greasy goals, go to the front of the net and do some of that with, you know, guys like Lundestrom and Silverberg who've shown a little bit of willingness to be around the front of the net, you know, in the, in like a more of a bigger halo area, not quite the paint, but still, you know, they're going to get shots on and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't mind it, but I would certainly prefer for that third line to be Henrik Lundestrom Silverberg going into the trade deadline. Yeah, I agree. And uh, come to us played with both too. So it, it does, it does make it easier to move him down if he's not playing well. He, and he's played well with Lundestrom and Silverberg in the past. So, and again, like we've talked, we've said several times already that Henrik has played well with Getzlaff and Terry this year. So the decision is an easy one for the Ducks to make unless Maxim Comtois makes it a tough decision by playing so well with Getzlaff and Terry that he owns that spot. So, 
you know, he's got the skill set to do it, and and the ball's in his court right now to to lock down that position. He's just got to put up the numbers. And I, I think all things considered, it was a good first game back. I like that the Ducks didn't take it slow. You know, it wasn't you know a knee injury or foot injury. Like they didn't really have to ease up the brakes on him a bit. Like just throw him out there with the top line, play him same amount of minutes you would normally play him if he was fully healthy, and see how things go. And I th- I think he he played well, uh, and. You know, without putting up a point, it's probably the best thing you could hope for from him coming back is just to look comfortable in the lineup. What do you guys? How do you guys feel about uh, Jacob Silverberg right now? I've been wanting to talk to you guys about this. I just I, something. You think something's wrong with him? You think he's injured or something? I, I just feel like he hasn't been effective at all. He's playing on a line with uh, Isaac Lindstrom and Derek Grant. So. But there's a reason why that's the case, right? Like he he just hasn't been able to get his to get his normal self going, and I wonder if this is just the decline we're ready to see, or if something's going on with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Steven. So, I, I guess my question is my question is is like, what impact do you think he's not having? Because like I still think he's been fine defensively. He's still responsible. Like he's got one you goal. Know, I don't is what Pat's trying to. Get I at, don't. Right? And, like, if that's the case, like, that's fine. Like, you know, he's on the other side of 30. So he's, he's the new Andrew Cogliano? A poor it on goal score. I mean, he was the old Andrew Cogliano. <laughs> no, no. Like, he was a piece I, of that line, you know, so you can't, you can't really say he's the dude. new Cogliano. So. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think him and Cogliano were kind of just different Except versions Silverberg of similar players. I think, yeah, you know. He was, he, was, he was a money player in the playoffs. Yes. And, you know, I think Silverberg's got, you know, he's got the knack on the shootout. He's 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 proven that he elevates his game in the playoffs. Um, but I, I think what he's settling into is a role that Anaheim needs him to settle into, which is the ninth forward on the team. Like, that's fine. He doesn't have to be more than that. Like, you know, if he spends the entire season stuck to Isaac Lundestrom's hip and the two of them just do a good job kind of you know, minimizing the chances against and generating a handful of rushes. Like I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't need more than that. It's the same thing that I, you know, that I kind of feel with Benoit and Shattenkirk. They're doing what I want them to do right now. I I'm not worried about anything like Shattenkirk still gets beat in his own zone. Uh, you know, I don't think Benoit should be allowed to go below the face off dot, but other than that, like, you know, I, I really just they're you know Benoit is bringing a physical presence you know he's putting up big hit or putting up big numbers as far as hits he's he's using his frame at the front of the net Shattenkirk is being a mensch on that second power play and really doing a great job um, you know kind of taking a an appropriate role and generating some depth offense for the team like the same thing for me is with Silverberg like yeah like. You know, would you like to see some of his numbers kind of start to go up a little bit? Like, obviously. But at the same time, like, I, he's that's not what I'm worried about with him as far as what I'm looking for. You know, I mean, look, he's got one goal and 11 assists. Like, okay. Like, if he puts up, what, for 35 assists? Yeah, he's going like, to get the side young, right? That's my thing with that, too. Well, no, he wouldn't. Or the opposite, Cy Young, yeah. He'd be so, the opposite. so if he, if he right now had something close to what we're used to, him, like if he had six plus six right now, six goals, six assists, on pace then to finish the season at like eighteen and eighteen, that's right on par with what we're used to from Jakob Silverberg. A little bit below is like his career average. In and terms not, of something points. to stats, I just don't notice him out there often. That's and maybe that's that's by design for how he's you know yeah, where he's and, in and, the lineup. And, yeah, and I think it's his role, right? It, is we noticed him more when. 
you know, the Kessler line was the second line, and yes, they were the shutdown line, but they played like 25 minutes a night, and they right. he still got more chances offensively. Now they're the third option, and he's you know they can't jump him up in the lineup because you've got Terry and uh, Raquel on the right side in front of him. You're not bumping any of those guys out, and even on the <laughs> left side. No, like, when he's loved on this team, he's he wears the A for a reason, right? Yeah. this is this is a leadership guy. This is his yeah, role, hundred percent. And and he's now a def- you know, not now he always has been, but now he's more pushed into the defensive winger. And that's kind of all you're going to do at this point. And occasionally him and Lindstrom will, will combine. And I think they're a good duo for what they bring to the game. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely not a shutdown line when you look at the underlying numbers. But they they are def- responsible two-way forwards that I think the Ducks like to have around. And, again, I'm not happy with what we're paying Silverberg in terms of the amount of money we're paying him for what he's putting up. I, I, I like him as a player. I like his fit. My my issue will always be again like the fact that we resigned him and this is what we're getting from him right now is nowhere near the, the money we're paying him. But I, I think his role. In what do you mean? He's the highest paid forward in the team. You don't like that? <laughs> not for long. <laughs> no, he's not. Well, oh well, yeah. I guess if Henrik's out, yeah. But like, here's the thing, right? Like, you know, so he's missed six games. So if you do his, you know, twelve and twenty six out over seventy six games, he's on par for seventy for thirty five points which is right around where he's been most of his career, 39, 39, 49, 40, 43, 39, 16, this year 12. Like, I think this is kind of what he should be expected to be. Like, if he finishes between, you know, 5 and 10 goals and 25 to 35 points, like, that's that's not bad, you know, because, like, I've always loved Soferberg. I, I love that, that shutdown line when they were at their best. But, like, the thing for me that's always been the issue is there's just haven't been depth scoring for this team. That second line just couldn't generate the sum total of necessary offense to kind of push that team a little bit over the line. Well, now, you know, you've got Soferberg in a role that he's much more fitted for, which is kind of that third... <clears throat> This is a little bit of a, an over comparison, but I think it gets a little bit closer. Like it's, he's a little bit closer to like kind of like not Yanni Gord, but like maybe like Blake Coleman or Barkley yep. Gaudreau, as far as those just like guys at the bottom of the roster are going to play defensively. You're not going to be worried about him. He doesn't offer necessarily some of that kind of physicality, but they don't need that from him. You know, got players even further up the lineup that can offer some of that physicality. So, you know, with him, I just think this is kind of what he needs to be. And the fact that, you know, the team has Milano and Terry and Zegger is popping off right now. Getsy's playing really well. Rico's playing well. Raquel is playing well. Like there are six guys ahead of him that can generate offense. And finally he can just do yeah. the thing. And with Maxime Comtois coming back, that could be and, seven and should guys. Be so there's a lot of guys in front yeah, of him. Yeah. You know, and again, like if, if that's the third line, it's not too right? bad. like, you know, I mean, look, the other, the other thing I was going to say earlier, and I kind of let it slip, but, like, um, look, if this team moves out Raquel, then we've seen Milano play on the right side. So you can still play mm-hmm. Comtois, maybe, with Milano and, and Zengris. And so, you know, I, there's still going to be opportunities in this lineup for guys to excel. And because other than the getsy terry pair and milano Zegris, I don't think anybody's really tied to the hip, like, guys are probably going to get moved around as the season goes on up and down and we'll see what it is. But like, I don't know. I'm not worried about Silverberg. 
he's not somebody that I'm yeah. like concerned about. I think the about. one thing with this team that we can say for sure with this roster, even with guys getting moved out, is there's two, three sets of duos who probably won't be moved off together for the entire season. The rest of the guys that aren't in those duos will be moved around. And it's Getzlaff and Terry, Zegers and Milano, and Lindstrom and Silverberg. They're all kind of set together. I guess you, if you really want to call Carrick and Delorean, you can you can do what you want with that one. But at the top six, like those guys aren't getting touched. And then Henrique and Comtois and Jones when he comes back, and you know, you know those guys will kind of move around those spots. Uh, Raquel has solidified himself as as right. a, a third guy with Zegers and Milano just because. Yeah, they. Yeah, he's a top he, six yeah. forward. It's he. There's no questions about that. He's got to be with those one of those. And they've been playing so well, like you just don't want to. You know, split I just don't right now. Right, we we've talked yeah. about this. Is you know, Henrique was a passenger with Getzlaff and Terry, but still played well. But he was the clear third guy, just like Raquel has played well with Zegers from Milano, but he's been the clear third guy on that line, right? So third and guy. there's it's Absolutely. that's natural. There's not many lines in the National Hockey League where you look at all three guys and say, man, all three guys like you can't, you can't discern from them there's like Pasternak, Bergeron, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bergeron and Marshawn there was before they broke it up Landis Cog, McKinnon, Rontanen right there's only a few lines out there where you're like oh all three of these guys are clicking you can't take them off together right so uh, there, there's always the duos and then you take a few guys off but um, all right we're, we're pushing over an hour so we can still got two more topics to get into we're gonna save the Cam Fowler stuff for another day because that's that's eternal we can talk about that whenever um, but we had uh, Elliot Friedman I think it was a podcast. And that's also a, a loaded conversation. So Yeah, the Camp Fowler one isn't like an hour discussion in itself. We might have to just do a show on that completely. But uh, Honestly, if, if games yeah, get we, we might have we to. Might like, just yeah, do we're we're going to have nothing else to talk about. So, um, <laughs> Elliot Friedman, I think, was on a podcast, or his podcast, with Jeff Merrick, I believe. He was on Jeff Merrick's show. He was okay. on the Jeff Merrick's show. So they show. were talking about uh, the Jack Eichel trade, and it came out what the ask was from the Ducks to get Jack Eichel. Turns out the Sabres wanted to see Chris Drysdale and two first-round picks for Jack Eichel. Uh, obviously, the Ducks said no. Uh, ultimately, they said no to the Jack Eichel situation anyway just because they didn't like the, um, the medical records that they got back, and they weren't really on board with the artificial disc replacement procedure that Eichel wanted so that's why the deal kind of fell apart for them but just in terms of that ask like I guess if you're Buffalo like you have to ask for that right okay we want your two top young guys and two first round picks and I think way early on when the Eichel stuff first started breaking is that's what we heard the Sabres were asking for I'm sure they went to every team and said listen your top two young guys and your two first round picks that's what we want and then as teams started coming out and the price started coming down and teams did not even want to do anything because of the medical records and the price came down to what eventually Vegas paid, but Vegas paid close to that asking price, right? They don't have Zegers and Drysdale type players, but, right. but what people fail to understand, like Ducks fans who freaked out about it, we all thought it was funny. Like all of us on the show, we all, of course we're going to poke fun. Um, but that's like what Steven just said. That's that's a, that's a, that's a, that's like the the starting point. Let's let's start there and chip away. Yeah, just chip away. Yeah, go go in high, and then why would you go in low and then be like, well, we didn't get what we wanted? Well, yeah, ask ask for the world, and then hopefully you come away with some piece of it. That's what the Sabers were trying to do. Yeah, like I'm sure from Minnesota, the ask was Rossi, yeah, Boldy, I mean... and two first round picks. Like that's just probably how it was. Sorry, Stephen. What were you yeah, gonna say there? Yeah, I can't yeah. catch you off there. They might have should have done that. They might have should have done that. Mm, man, it's really hard to say that they shouldn't have done that trade. Kaprizov and yeah, that... Eichel together. That's scary. Um, uh, the thing I was gonna say is like, 
like like look when the the whole Jack Eichel trade saga began, right? There was a couple of things that everybody knew. One, Eichel, they they knew that at the end of this year, his no trade clause, his no move clause was going to kick in, and that was going to really limit the way in which they could deal him. So everybody kind of understood they had a window. There's there was the expectation of the Olympics, which put a second artificial timeline on it. Because if he was going to get his surgery, he only had so much time that he could, you know, in order to make the Olympics, which is obviously something that's very important for him. From the Buffalo point of view, it, we heard very early on, they're asking for the equivalent of four first round picks. And they need a top prospect. Uh, again, like, you have to ask for that, right? That has to be the first thing. Because if you go in there and you go, Ah, we'll take like a first, and then maybe a this, and then all right. Like no one's they're—they're going to eat you alive. Like you have to go in early, you have to ask high, and then you have to see if there's a GM who is willing to pay that amount first. Like you know, because here's the thing: what you can't have is you can't ask one GM for one thing and another GM for another thing, and the value be completely different. That—that's just not—that's just not feasible. And the word is going to get around, things are going to get leaked, all that stuff. So, like, yeah, you have to walk in there and ask for everything, and then you have to hope somebody's willing to pay it. Ultimately, the price that they got, we can all, you know, agree was a little underwhelming, and we can quibble about some of the particulars of it. But it, I don't think like it the, was the worst trade fake possible, leak about Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that one. Oh, yeah. But what they got you wasn't know, far off like, the, the asking price of, like, let take out Zegers and Drysdale from the discussion. The Ducks have two of the best young players in the league, so let's take that out. Like, if the ask of every team was your best two young players and two first-round picks, what they ended up getting was a first-round pick, Vegas's best young player, a really good young roster player, and a second-round pick. Like, it is fairly close to what they asked for. It came down a little bit, and Vegas doesn't have the same quality of young stars that the Ducks do, but if Anaheim pulls out and Minnesota pulls out and New York pulls out the teams that have better young players and you're left with Vegas and of all the teams out there, the best young player on the table is Peyton Krebs. And you're still getting a first round pick and they're all good teams. And those first round picks are going to be late. Like you kind of have to go with what, what you're going to get at that point. And uh, I mean, like that team is going to be scary when you have Patch Ready, Eichel and Stone playing on the line together. But yeah, like you said, you, you can't blame the GM for going in there and be like, listen, this is what we want. Like we want these guys, and then okay, where does the conversation go from here? And from you know our assumptions, and from some of the reports that came out, like the the Ducks ended up dwindling that down to like a first and Comtois and another prospect and another pick or something like that. So their price even came down from there. But for sure, that was the asking price. Like every every team got hit with that asking price of of your two best young guys and your two first round picks. I I'd, I would be more interested to find out what the last offer the Ducks had the table was and what that price came down to and what they were willing to give up. Because we all know there's no way they'd be willing to give up Zegers, Drysdale, and two first-round picks. I'm, I'm more interested in what they were willing to give up to get Eichel uh, and what that would have looked like if it had it went through. McTavish passed yeah, the Alvin Comtois. Something like that. Yeah. All right. That's a lot. Yeah, so, it is, but, I mean, it's Jack Eichel, right? Like, not many players like that. But hey, we get the, if we get like into the 17th best yeah, center of the yeah, league, there okay. it is. There it is. I'm saying, if we get into the how how good do we think Jack Eichel is, we'll be here all night. So we've already we've already <laughs> the, our entire summer was this argument with Pat about how good Jack Eichel was. I don't want to revisit this conversation now. <laughs> yeah, between uh, bottom 
uh, bottom top tier center yeah. Michael and that's, forty point player Trevor Zegers. So I think Adam has, has a future over the summer. So. Trolling is awesome, man. I love it. <laughs> Trolling your friends is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Pat's whole summer was Troy Terry's shit. Trevor Zegers will never hit more than forty points, and Jack Eichel sucks. <laughs> Two of those have already have already gone out the window. When Jack Eichel comes back to play with Pat Brady and Stone, that third one will be gone too. So. <laughs> no wonder nobody's missed me on this show. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of... Take a fucking victory lap when Jack Eichel gets demoted to the fourth yeah, line. Chandler in the Stevenson regains his position as number one center. <laughs> they move Eichel to defense. Like, yeah, you're just better off playing in your own zone. Plays with, on a pair with Shea Theodore. Um, all right. So speaking of bad takes, I'm sure we'll have our own and have had our own on this. But Dallas Aikens is due for a contract extension at the end of this season. And the reason we're talking about it now is because in the last 32 thoughts, Elliot Friedman talked about some of the coaches who have uh, expiring deals. Craig Berube and Dean Evanson were the others. Berube is still in St. Louis, right? I'm, I'm correct in saying that. I think he's still I there. think so. So Berube in St. Louis and Evanson in, in Minnesota, then Dallas Aikens in Anaheim. Uh, and looked at, you know, teams have been more than willing to give coaches contract extensions during the regular season this year. And, and if any of these teams were, because they're all in good positions, they're all playoff teams this year. What do you think the likelihood is that Anaheim is going to give an extension to, to Dallas Aikens? Because I think when you look at the other teams, St. Louis and Craig Berube, they have a general manager in place. They have a direction. They can make that decision now if they want to bring the coach back. I think the same goes for Minnesota. You know, they've got their GM in place. If they want to extend the coach in the middle of the season, I think that makes sense to do that decision. My argument I had when I first talked about this with Anaheim is they've got an interim GM. They still have to make that decision on what general manager they're going to have. And I'm sure whatever that general, whoever that general manager is, even if it's Jeff Solomon, are then going to want to make their own decision on the coach. So I can't imagine this happens in season for Anaheim. It's a decision that gets made after the general manager decision gets made. But I, I think you know, when we talk about does he deserve it, I think he's put himself in, in a good spot to potentially get an extension when you look at how much the Ducks have improved this year. Weird how you move Bob Murray and all of a sudden this team is is a much different, <laughs> oh, uh, much different style of play. I mean, I wonder how much that affected the game. Well, with, with Dallas we, Higgins. Yeah. I, I really, really do. I, I'm not talking about players specifically, but I'm talking about Dallas and, and, and himself, like Bob Murray uh, from the environment. And I don't want to get on a tangent about Bob Murray. We've already had that discussion on here, but I really feel like if you relieve that pressure that maybe he was, he was having on this organization, um, that's if that's what we're seeing a lot of it here. It's, it's a remarkable difference in the way Dallas Aikens has been able to, to manage his team. I feel like there was a lot of pressure. I feel that Bob Murray had a lot to say with lineups, a lot to say with contracts, a lot, to, obviously with contracts, but uh, a lot to say uh, in places that maybe they should have been left to the coach. I really think that's the case. A lot of it. And then I think that Dallas is uh, is finally showing us, you know, the kind of coach that he's able to be in the NHL level. That's just my opinion. But I think Bob Murray had a, had a real dark cloud on this franchise, and we didn't know about it. It is greasy little so. fingers all over it. <laughs> <laughs> just pizza stains. Um, yeah, I... I mean, I'm kind of, I think what Eddie said makes makes a lot of sense as far as, like, if you, they haven't hired a GM yet, the first guy through that door, for whoever it ends up being, like, they're going to want to make their own hire. 
but I, I can't remember who it was, but I was listening to somebody dump something the other day and somebody made the point and I, I can't even remember if it was about it was specifically, but that like, no, it wasn't that I promise. Uh, but somebody made the point that like, it's not the worst thing in the world for a GM to, to go into a job with a fire in their back pocket because you know, if you want, like, if I like, here's the thing, right? Dallas has done a remarkable job this year, right? How much of that is up to him? How much of that is about the coaching staff that they've brought in to support him? I, I, that's all stuff that I, I can't give you an answer on. Um, I have my suspicions, but like I said, I, I do also think uh, Dallas Aikens is kind of a vibes coach. And I think for where this team has been at in his development, you know, and the kind of, uh, things that he focuses on as far as you know uh work ethic and commitment and professionalism and you know that kind of stuff and then also seeing him be so uh, supportive and and encouraging for the kind of freewheeling creative offensive hockey that these kids are playing right now like I think he's more than earned an extension i I think it makes a he has certainly proven a point that you know was in doubt right because the Edmonton thing was was not great and everybody was like well that was Edmonton and we've seen how much of a shit show that's been so it's hard like you don't want to hold that too much against him but then you know his first couple years in Anaheim wasn't great you know and there were questions about whether he he could coach at this level and if he really was just kind of a really really good AHL coach well we seem to be seeing that he can be at least an effective NHL coach I don't think it's the worst idea to give him an extension. Now, are there maybe some candidates for GM who might not want to take a job if he's already got it? Maybe. But I don't know what kind of message it sends if you kind of, you know, like the thing I was thinking about the other day was uh, the Toronto Raptors when, uh, who was before Nick Nurse? Dwayne Casey, where he won coach of the year and fired the same year. You know what I mean? Like, if you told me that Dallas Aikens won the Jack Adams and also wasn't the coach next year, like, I don't think that's an insane thing to think. I I could see it happening. The Ducks have Um, to top the Pacific, I think, for him to get really into that discussion with some of the guys that will be, um, you know, put up there as a a Jack Adams candidate. But, like, for even with a new GM coming in, like, I can still see Dallas Aikens getting a one-year show-me-what-you-can-do as a new GM-type extension. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't think we ever really see, like, a GM come in and just say, okay, see you to the coach uh, without maybe getting a good look at them. So I I could see them doing that. Like like you said, I think he's done enough to deserve it. And I don't know if I'm, – I'm not at the spot where I can say I think he'd be an effective NHL head coach. Like long-term and a contending team, I think he's done enough to, to kind of show he could, he could try to do that. But he's he, – yeah, he's but a great development But those are two different things, coach. right? Like I, I think there's a difference – I think there's a difference between being an effective NHL coach and being like yeah. an elite over-the-hump coach. I don't think he's that still, and I, I don't – he hasn't shown me enough to think that he's that. I don't think he is that to begin with. But if you told me that, like, he put together a pretty fine NHL career going a little over NHL 500, I, yeah, man, like, I could totally see that. I think he'd that. be a great piece to a coaching staff, too, right? Because he, he's a pure, like, development coach. Great with the players, knows how to handle, knows how to instill that, like, that work ethic and the drive and the professionalism, like you said. Like, he's a great guy to have in the locker room and to, to – 
have you know influencing the players and you know again give him all the credit for what the ducks have done this year i think they brought in a good staff around him to help him in some of the areas that he struggled with and that's what you have to do with a guy like they've been open admit like open to the public that they need a guy in there to help him with some areas that he's not quite good at uh, that's why Daryl Sutter was brought in as an advisor, and that's why they brought in some of the guys that they have to help him with special teams in different areas of, of the game. If he doesn't become an effective NHL head coach where he can you know, take that next step in, in his career and be a guy who is in the elite level of coaches, I think he has two options. He can either be a guy who bounces around to help kind of take teams from the bottom to the next level and, and really instill like, you know, in the young players, what it takes to be an NHL player and to, you know, even on a bad team to come out every night and work hard and, and it will pay off. And he could point to what he's done in Anaheim with these guys that, you know, I took the same team that was crap last year and we changed our, our attitude and the atmosphere and, and with the way we approach games and look, like, it pays off. We, you know, we can win games that we should be winning. We could stick around with, with teams that have a higher skill level than us. And I think he can be that guy, or he can be just a, a great assistant coach and, you know, do the development side of things on an elite team and, and, you know, stick to his strengths. And that's his area that he focused on. He's you know, not a special teams guy. He's not a tactics guy. He's in there to cater to the players and be a player coach and, and be that guy who instills that kind of work ethic. So I, I think he's built up enough of a resume now to, say that these are two areas that he could be really effective and he can you know, either he's an assistant coach potentially with the ducks and the way you described him or... sounds like he just sounded like he was bruce boudreau players guy not a tactics guy yeah. <laughs> it was and, and we there's nothing wrong with bruce boudreau right we all uh, but you know what, <laughs> it's... look at what he's done in in vancouver he's revived their season i guess they're six and oh since he came in so Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would put him that high up. I think Bruce Boudreaux, like, I think he's at least a tier above. I think Bruce Boudreaux is yeah. a very, very, very good coach. Um, but I, I definitely understand, given, you know, the Game 7s with fucking three or four different teams now. Well, like, only one guy wins stuff, it every so. year, right? Like, It'll be interesting. I think even in, in the league, like, there are only a handful of really good tactical coaches who you don't want to go against because they'll just tactically destroy you in a game. You see, you don't see that as much in hockey as you do in other sports where they're, you know, it's harder to do that, I think, in hockey. There's only a few guys. Like, I think John Cooper is one of those guys. I think... Yeah. So I was going to ask you, who are the like four or five best coaches in the league? I'd like to know both of you guys who you, like, even if you don't go like five off the top, like just guys that you think are legitimately up there. Yeah. This would be a good Patreon one. It's tough. Uh, like I, I, Barry Trotz. Yeah. Uh, Cooper for sure. I would probably say Rod Brendamore is also another mm-hmm. good one. Um, I would. Not 100%. I would sure go that, Bruce Boudreaux. And man. I think one more to pick to be a five. Shoot, I really like. Gallant. I was either going to say Gallant. He's or, in New York now, right? Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. going for Gallant or um, what's his name? I can't think of it. Anyway, yeah, that's what team. I had one on the tip of my tongue, and now I can't think of the damn the guy I was going to name. So forget about it. Uh, <laughs> And I'll say this: I really think Todd McClellan's a good coach. I don't know. I don't think he's 
an elite coach. I don't know that he's a top 10 coach, but he's right there for me. I really like Tom McClellan. I love that hire in, in Edmonton, even when it didn't I, I think work you can out. look and at I it. I love and, that hire in LA. In Edmonton, and I don't think it's his fault. Like I, the, the team that he has in the back end and in net is, is terrible. I, but he has done a good job handling McDavid and Dreisaitl and putting good players around them, and, and I like the way they play. They just don't have the talent in certain areas to be a good team. I think they, if they added a defenseman and a goaltender with Todd McLeod as the coach, they are easily the best team in the Pacific Division. Well, well when he Tippett was there. Now. Yeah, yeah, when he was there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I see yeah now they have Tippett, and, and they look I totally like forgot. The team, but. That Lindy Ruff is the head coach of the Devils. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's so he, I love Lindy Ruff so much. He is just the perfect other team's <laughs> coach. Like, because when he was in Buffalo, they were a lot of fun. When he was in Dallas, they were a lot of fun. Like, he's just a dude that you're just like, yeah, I'm 100% fine. Like, watching he is a crazy person. Just, That's know, crazy great, man. He just, he'll just put anybody anywhere on. in the lineup, no matter who you are. It rocks. I love Lindy Ruff, man. He is, he's awesome. He's kind of like uh, he's kind of like Ken Hitchcock yeah. in that I'm just like, yeah, I just think you should be in the league forever. I just enjoy having you around. Uh, we we all know the next coach of the Ducks is going to be John Tortorella. So Ken Hitchcock is that who you is that who you meant there? Oh, please let it be Torts. Oh, <laughs> hey, did did anybody see Torts Torts's comment on yeah, the, point, the other uh, last night Gucci? or the other yeah. Day? No, he, he called well, out. I, I didn't hear it. I just heard that what he responded. So what he basically said is, is so it was an apology. He felt bad that Trevor Zegers was getting all these questions about it. He was like, that sucks. He's like, I'm not trying to take away from him. He's, you know, he was just like, I think the play was killed. I was just asking, is it a hockey play? The fact that he's had to spend, you know, a week and a half answering these questions i actually feel really bad for he's like i reached out to the coach i reached out to him uh you know i talked to him a little bit and whatever he goes and he goes i fucking hope he does it again like the fact just, that you said that i hope he does it again man, I just, like he's trying so hard i it's not even that i really do genuinely think like me and eddie have this conversation and like i i don't know i'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound douchey but whatever like i think i'm right like I 100% do think that he wasn't trying to criticize Trevor Zeger so much as he was just having a moment where what he thinks the game is, how it should be played, and what that says about like us as a society or whatever, just kind of hit a moment where this kid did something fucked. Like, it's Trevor Zeger's just dropped punk rock music into it, and he was just like, whoa, time out, you can't play music that fast. You know what I mean? Like, it, I just don't think... I don't think John Tortorella said those things with the intent of being like, fuck Trevor Zegers, he's a bad kid, and he's ruining the game, the way everybody tried to make it out to be. He was just saying, like, do, do we want some of this stuff? Like, it seems a little flashy. It seems a little ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, John Tortorella's not a flashy guy. I, I don't think, you know, that there's there, there was any malice in what he said. He was just like, I don't know, man. Not, I don't ah. So, I don't know. I was very I, happy I to see him kind of he speak he had to say something. I think as the natural kind of progression of this discussion, it went from him saying it to Zegers having a week full of a thousand interviews where he's asked 
what does he think on it? And we've heard his same opinion a hundred times because he was on like a ridiculous amount of podcasts the last few weeks of what he thought. He's like, I don't really care. His opinion doesn't really matter to me. I think the play is great, blah, blah, blah. We already heard that. I think at this point, like whether it was Torts himself that said, okay, I got to make a response or ESPN said, listen, we're going to talk about this tonight. You've got to say something on it. It's just a natural course of the way this has gone. He had to say something, or they felt he had to say something, and he basically just went on there, reiterated his point, but also kind of covered his ass a little bit where he said, yeah, I hope he does it again. I don't and, – and I feel like he is genuine in the sense that he's trying to say, I hope he does it again because he doesn't want to say, like, I hope – I don't want Zegers to change his game because I don't like the play. Like, I feel like he's genuine in that sense, but he is kind of covering his ass to go out there and yeah, apologize. Yeah, and he also admitted that he's, like, an older – he's an older guy, right? Like, he – I, like, I'm the old school. I'm I'm from this ilk. Like, I, he, that's the way – at least he admits that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess – like, look, there are things to have questions about with Torts. Like, you know, there's just some – but I think by and large – I don't think he's a bad no. dude. And I've really enjoyed him on ESPN when I've listened to yeah, him. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's, he's a good. he's a bad so. dude. And I, I listen, I I get where he's coming from in his approach because that's the type of hockey that you said this on the one we talked about last time, Stephen. This is the type of hockey that he coached is the type of hockey that he's backing up, the type of hockey that he grew up watching and playing. I know a bunch of people like that. I get where they're coming from. I understand it. Like I'm not we were none of us were surprised by this. The fact that people are outraged by it clearly have never heard Torts talk or watched him coach or anything in the past. Like mm-hmm. he has alienated young players for making mistakes for being too flashy in the past in Columbus and and where he's coached. So this is not a surprise. Um, it's just the way he worded it in some senses triggered some people and it went took it to a whole new level. And and that's you know him when people when he said our game yeah, that yeah, sent some sure. people to the moon. And when he you know he said it wasn't good for the game. Some people, Eddie. Did anybody? Did anybody on this podcast? <laughs> I didn't maybe either. Not like but his that's what I'm saying. Like the, his his comments of, of when he said it, you know, our game, and when he said that it wasn't good for the game. Those were the two things. If you ask anybody now to recall anything else they said, those are the two first things that they'll bring up as the, the as the main things they were upset with. And they said it wasn't good for the game. That was number one. And then he said our game. The big thing that the media took and ran with was. It's not good for the game. Because every question that Zegers has gotten since is, do you think it's good for the game? What, what the fuck do you think the kid's going to say? You think he's going to say, no, I agree with him. I don't think it's good for the game. <laughs> no, I'm actually ruining it. Anyway, we sport, could probably so talk weird. about this forever. The only the last thing I want to say is just an update, because um, we haven't talked about this on the regular show. Mason McTavish, Olin Zellweger, Sasha Pastrov, and Ian Moore, the Ducks' four prospects, are going to go to the World Junior Championship. McTavish and Zellweger for Canada. Currently, McTavish is slotted as the 2C on that team. Zellweger is playing on the right side of Canada's top pair with Owen Power. Sasha Pastrov looks like he's going to be a top six option for Team USA. And Ian Moore, I have no idea where he's going to slot in. I expect him to be either like the six or seven defenseman. But we'll see. But it'll be fun to watch these two guys. And uh, I don't know the groups this year, but a Canada-US showdown will happen at some point i expect it always does so it'll be nice to see those guys face off against each other hopefully not a repeat of last year uh in the gold medal game so <laughs> hopefully a repeat of last year uh canada losing everything it's great yeah we'll, we'll see all right we need our predictions for for the games upcoming this week no game on tuesday against calgary because it's been postponed postponed postponed, postponed. So, i think they're so all gonna be postponed they all might be because out. it's a canadian road trip but let's at least make our predictions for the two games that are going ahead as of right now Edmonton on Monday, Vancouver on Thursday. Pat, what do you have? Win-win. 
Win-win. Okay, Steven, what do you got? You go first. I don't know yet. I haven't made up my mind. Yeah, I'm, I want the Ducks to hand Brucey his first loss in, in, in uh, the Canucks Arena. It'd be great. Vancouver's going to want to come back down to earth. It's six wins in a row. It is what it is. But they are – something's going to happen at some point. I think they're definitely a better team than the way they played early on in the season. And we've seen what having a coach come in in the regular season can do for a team. And, and I think they're – of any team in the league, they're the one primed to go on that type of run. I think they have a good roster. Uh, I, I think the Ducks could be the team to end that in Vancouver. The game on Monday against Edmonton is going to be tough just because of McDavid and Drysdale. But I, I, I think I'm going to side with Pat here. I think win-win. I think the Ducks are going to respond well from this loss against Arizona. It's not a fun way to, to lose a game. And I, I think they match up well with uh, the way both the, the Oilers and the Canucks play. And the Canucks aren't playing tonight or tomorrow. So both their games got, got canceled or postponed. Long day off. Or long, not day off, but long, uh, long time to sit on the sidelines for the Canucks. So. All right, Steven, make a decision. Get off yeah, the Yeah, I'll go. What do you I'll got? go. Ah, I, stupid. I'll go win-win. <laughs> Whatever. Fuck it. Let's go. Let's just go all in. Let's, who cares? Doesn't matter. Big game, not so. Not money. Unless I'm right. Uh, you lose these bucks. two games, and Vancouver all of a sudden gets a little bit closer to you, and Edmonton gets closer to, to the top of the Pacific. So this is the first first Stop stretch talking. for Anaheim that uh, these these points really do matter, and they're the in-division games that uh, that matter the most. I think the two teams that are the, the best chance of catching them from that aren't in the top three right now in Edmonton and Vancouver. So be uh, hopefully they happen. I, I – kind of have a sneaking suspicion like Pat that they probably end up getting postponed and the entire league gets shut down until after Christmas. And knowing our luck, the moment I hit end on this recording, the news is going to get announced that the season has been postponed until after Christmas. But for now, we both have <laughs> oh, the Ducks rattling so. off oh, two that'd wins. Be so good. It's, it's just it's uncanny. <laughs> it happens every time. Um, for things we didn't get to today, we are going to talk uh, in depth about Cam Fowler and the way he's played this year and the last couple of years under Dallas Aikens because I think he deserves, deserves a bit more love than he's gotten. Um, you know, We've harped on him in the past too, but I think it's time to give him a bit of credit for what he's done. Uh, no idea what you're talking about. Big <laughs> so we'll get into that at some point. Uh, Steven and I are going to hopefully sit down with Cam Robertson sometime soon and t- talk about the Ducks prospects. We want to get that out of the way before Christmas if possible, but we're running out of time. But at least uh, we have some time with the Ducks prospects at the World Junior Championship so we can get another update out and throw that out there. And I know we all have to sit down, or at least most of us have to try and do a Pucks and Brews sometime soon uh, to get a Patreon show out. So we'll... We'll make sure we did that, but we did just release uh, a week ago, Stephen and I, a fun trade show uh, that we put out with some wild trades from around the league, including the Ducks on Patreon. Have we heard anything back about that? What do you mean? Have we got any feedback from it? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 from what I, from a few people that commented in Discord, they said they enjoyed it, but that's it. So I'm, I'm not surprised we haven't gotten a ton of feedback on it. So we, we generally don't get a ton of feedback on our Patreon shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's mo- it's mostly shit talking about the ducks in our discord chat so that, that i guess that's a selling point if you want to join the discord go to patreon.com slash forever mighty <laughs> it's a key selling point right now until we start releasing pucks and bruce <laughs> but uh so apologies for anybody who wanted to listen to this show live i don't know what ha- is happening with with twitch and Streamlabs, but we're we're trying to figure it out uh some days it works some days like today it just doesn't so hopefully we can get out live for the next one 
Uh, thanks again for checking it out, guys. I'll be back Monday with another Ducks Morning Brew. And we'll hopefully all be back with Jason for, uh, or I guess we won't be next weekend because that's Christmas. So next week we'll have off. So I guess we'll have a weekly show two weeks from now, near the end of December. I forgot about sure, that. Sure, why not? Yeah. I don't think any of us want to get up on Christmas Day and record a, <laughs> record a podcast no. when there'll be zero games to talk about because they're all likely going to get postponed. So <laughs> you, you guys didn't even celebrate Christmas after. You guys celebrate the day after. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, D. You got to wait to open your presents, kid. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna love that. Uh, gotta go to Dad's got to spend an hour and a half being depressed because the postpone the season got postponed. We're gonna spend an hour upset. on Christmas Day talking about Cam Fowler. <laughs> I'll be very, very, very upset if they do this. Oh my god! All right, I gotta head out, boys. Good talking to you. Great being back, and uh, we'll see you guys in a bit. Later, boys.